This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church. And thank you for joining me. On this episode, we are going to take you on a journey to places where faith in Jesus is forbidden. And along the way, we're going to meet some bold believers whose faith I know will inspire you. Now, to help us do that is Todd Nettleton. And for more than 20 years, Todd has traveled the world and interviewed hundreds of Christians who have been persecuted for the name of Jesus. Todd is the host of VOMRadio.net and is the author of a new book, When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. Here now is my conversation with Todd Nettleton. Now, you and I go back, I think, about 20 years or so. Uh, We've been together in Egypt and Eritrea and Vietnam. And along the way, we have met some pretty amazing people. We're going to talk about that. But, Todd, why? what was the attraction for you to the persecuted church and the Voice of the Martyrs in the U.S. when you joined in the late 90s? Greg, I grew up in a missionary family. So part of my growing up years involved moving from Southern California to Papua New Guinea, My parents served as missionaries there for four years. And then even after I left home to go to college, uh, my parents served in Africa. They served in the Czech Republic. And so uh, travel was sort of bred into me, the the idea of uh, it's fun. It's fun to go someplace you've never been. It's fun to try a food that you've never tried before. Uh, It's fun to try to learn a few words of the language so that you can say hello and you can ask where the bathroom is, some of those really important things. And uh, so that was sort of in my blood, so to speak, and in my background. And uh, I was trained in communications. I actually worked as a sports writer for a while and uh, worked at a a university in the PR department. And when the opportunity came to come to Voice of the Martyrs, the, the person who hired me is married to my former college roommate, And uh, she was tasked with building a communications department here at Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, we had dinner one evening and she said, you know, I I need to put together a department. I need a staff. Uh, I need somebody to tell stories. And I thought, boy, I love telling stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I love telling stories of heroes, uh, people who really are living out their faith at a high level. And so uh, it just seemed like, hey, this is going to be a great fit for me. And we're now 23 years later. And I still feel like it's a great fit. I still look forward to coming to work every day and and to keep telling the stories of our brothers and sisters who suffer for their faith. Well, it's kind of cool. We both have backgrounds in sports, and you were a sports writer. I was a broadcaster, and now you're doing broadcasting. I'm doing writing. I think it's in some ways very natural that you write this book, When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians, which, by the way, is also a devotional and a prayer journal. So where did the idea come from the book, or did it just kind of write itself? You know, the idea really came as I would come home, and I know this happens to you as well. I come home from a trip. And I, you know, I share with my family uh, about the people that I met. I share maybe in my Sunday school class or in my Bible study group, and someone will make the comment, man, I sure wish I could go on a trip with you. And, you know, that's not possible for a lot of people. And some of the places we go, it's not possible for security reasons. So the the idea kind of hatched out of that is, okay, how, how can I take? the people in my Bible study group on a trip with me? How, in fact, how could I take VOM radio listeners with me? How could I take every Christian in America with me 
and let's sit down and let's meet some of these amazing heroes of the faith. That's really the genesis of the book. And that's the kind of the idea of the book is we're going on a trip together. So we're going to spend 40 days and we're going to go and we're going to sit down and we're going to drink coffee. We're going to drink tea. We're going to hear the stories directly from our persecuted brothers and sisters. And the promise that I make, and I think really the promise that, that the stories make is on day 41, your faith is going to be a little different. You're going to have seen some things. You're going to have met some people and think, wow, I want to live that way. I want to have that same passion. I want to have that same boldness. And so that's really the plan is, hey, when we get back from this 40-day journey, your faith is going to look a little different than it did when we started. Yeah, and, and I've been reading the book. I love it, uh, especially, you know, at the beginning when you talk about, you know, getting your suitcase together and, and, and actually having more than you need. And as you go along, you realize you don't need as much as, you, as you've been packing, unless, of course, you're trying to bring some things for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So what's the response been so far, Todd, to the book? You know, the response has been overwhelmingly positive, and I love uh, one I just got about a week ago from a, a VOM lady here in, in the U.S. Uh, she lives back on the East Coast, and she said, you know, I know the suggestion was that we were supposed to read your book over 40 days, but I read it in 10 hours and 46 minutes. <laughs> I was like, okay. And she said, I wasn't trying to read fast. In fact, some of the things I read the chapter twice because it was so good. But she said, I couldn't stop and wait for the next day for the next story. I had to go on. And so that's the kind of thing, you know, as a writer, you love to hear that. I couldn't put the book down. I had to finish it. Uh, but, you know, the hero of this book is not me, the writer. And you know this as a storyteller as well. The hero is the people in the book, the people mm -hmm. whose stories that are being told. And so, and I think it's fairly unique for the let's say the average Canadian Christian, the average American Christian to have that opportunity to sit down with persecuted Christians and just, you know, hear their stories, ask them questions, hear what they say. So I think it's, it's a fairly unique book in terms of the content. Uh, and you know, the response has been very positive. Yeah. And, and I would admit I was the same way. I, I, you know, okay, day one. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're going way ahead because the stories are captivating. I was the same one. It was when Jesus freaks came out, you know, you're, you just keep reading because they're so inspiring. They're so amazing. And, you know, so, you know, obviously you're a journaler and that's something that you put into this book too. You can help others to journal. Maybe some people like, oh yeah, I don't want to journal, but I never got around to it. I don't know how to do it. So you're helping in that way, sharing your stories. And then also, of course, the thing that we talk about, Todd, you know, endlessly because it's so important and that is prayer. One of the reasons that I wanted to include the, the entries for my journal, and I wish I was a journaler all the time. I'm really not. I, I journal when I travel and it's really, it's kind of a gift to my wife because she can't be there and, and kind of have these experiences together. So I come home from a trip and I hand her my journal and she reads through it. But those have been, you know, great memories and great ways to capture some of these experiences. So that's why I included some of those journal entries in the book. And the other thing is, I want people to know that uh, I'm, a, I'm a regular person. I hope that comes through in the journal entries. It's not all the sort of high-minded spiritual stuff. Uh, I complain in the journal about squatty potties. I complain about airlines, yes. you know, delays and lost luggage and all those things that are part of travel. Um, but it also gives people kind of a window that, hey, this is, 
that Todd Nettleton guy, he's not a super spiritual guy. He's, he's kind of like me. Uh, I, I hope that's what people think. Um, so that was part of it. And the other thing too, the journal entries for the reader, the, the places where I'm saying, Hey, what do you think about this? What, what do you, what can you do with this? What can you learn from this story? I don't want people to just read the story and then close the book and be like, okay, well, I'm, do I'm done with that. I really want the stories to work on people's hearts. And I want, I want to give the Lord a chance to say, Hey, you know, that guy shared Christ with his neighbor. You could probably do that too. I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel like these stories can challenge us and they can inspire us. So the journal, the, the place for the reader to journal is kind of just to create a pause and, and hopefully let that story work on them, let that truth work on them. And the other thing about this, and I think it's a very common response for Christians in free nations is like, oh yeah, that person, their, their spouse was killed for their faith. That's never going to happen to me. I, you know, how could I even identify what, what, what is it? That's not, you know, that doesn't happen in America. That doesn't happen in Canada. How do I, what do I learn from that story? And so one of the things I tried to do within kind of the devotional thoughts in each chapter is what can I do with that story? As a comfortable, free Christian, what do I need to learn? What, what truths can I draw out of that story? So hopefully it, there's some application points and there's some, some things that all of us can do after we read the stories and not just think, oh yeah, that happened 10,000 miles away from here. That's never going to happen to me, but really kind of prayerfully say, Lord, what can I learn from this person's example? Yeah. And I mean, we would admit that, you know, actually being face to face with our brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted. And that's why we have conferences and people have opportunity if they can't travel. But uh, the next best thing is to tell the stories, because I think what happens, Todd, is it, it's it's such a large number. You and I are on radio programs being interviewed, talking about Nigeria and Pakistan and North Korea. And it can, you know, people can go numb in a sense. Oh, yeah, they keep hearing it. So the importance of storytelling, Todd, to tell the individual stories, why is that such a passion that you have? You know, Greg, that's a great question. And I think a lot of it comes just from my personality. Like, I like stories. I, you know, I, I'm a reader. Uh, I like movies. I like stories. I, I like to think about stories. I like to tell stories. But I also think that there is there's something supernatural that's designed into us by God to respond to stories. Uh, one of the things that I often think about is, uh, you know, when, when God sent the prophet Nathan to confront King David, Nathan didn't go in there and, and say, David, you're a sinner. You've committed adultery. What, you know, what are you doing? What he did is he told him a story. If you remember, he told him a story about a sheep. You know, there's a man with a sheep and he raised it and he cuddled with it and he slept in his bed at night. And then his neighbor came and stole the sheep and took it to feed to his guest. And, and David, who, if, if he had come in and said, you committed adultery, David might've said, get him out of here or mm. even put him to death. But David responded to the story and said, that man must die. And then Nathan turned it around and said, you're the man, you're the guy. So I think, you know, that's a biblical example, but I think all of us respond to a story because it, it sort of bypasses your intellect or your brain that would say, oh yeah, that happened in Africa. Oh, that was in Afghanistan. I don't live in Afghanistan. That doesn't affect me. But it bypasses that sort of uh, mental thing, that mental mm -hmm. trap 
and gets right to your heart and your heart says, wait, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my family member that that happened to. That does impact me. That does affect me. And so, you know, I think God designed us to respond to story. Jesus used stories. Uh, and so I think we put a face on the subject of persecution when we can tell somebody's story and really hold them up and say, yeah, you know, yes, we can talk about statistics. We can talk about thousands of Christians in Nigeria that have been killed. But when we tell the story of one woman whose husband was killed and she's had to flee from Boko Haram and, you know, she's carried her children through the jungle running for her life, that becomes much more personal to us. And I think it helps us to pray more effectively and more passionately for our brothers and sisters. Yeah, and I've said that at meetings that I'm at or when I'm doing media is don't just sort of have the blanket. I just pray for the persecuted church. And it's okay. I mean, to do that and for China and Afghanistan, Pakistan, whatever the country. But when you see the faces, when you hear the stories and, you know, remember that these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, it really it does take that prayer and makes it more intense. Now, I know about Utah, but when I'm doing conferences or speaking at churches, you know, and after I'm at the booth, you know, uh, you know, selling books or doing, you know, just encouraging people, I'm often asked, you know, of all the Christians you've interviewed, who is the one that most impacted you? And then I should have the answer ready, but then I list about five or 10 of them off. And then on the way home, I go, oh, I forgot to mention, you know, so I know, and I'm sure that's for you as well. But I want you to tell just a few stories, Todd, because again, you're you're an excellent broadcaster and a writer, uh, people that have impacted you personally, so that you can kind of take us there, because I did promise at the beginning, we're going to do a little bit of a, a tour around the world. You know, one of the first Christians that I really remember talking to that that really changed the way I think about persecution, and I tell her story in the book, is Sister Tong, a lady who I met in China. Sister Tong had just been released from six months in prison. And the reason she was sent to prison is because she hosted a house church meeting in her home. So at that time, they were raiding house churches. Uh, they would typically, for everyone who was attending the meeting, they would write down your ID, you know, take your information. But it was her house. And so she got sent to prison for six months. And just a few weeks after she was released, I was there. Actually, my wife, Shar, was with me on this particular trip. So we both got to meet Sister Tong. And uh, I'm, you know, I know I'm going to come back to America. I'm going to be on the radio. I'm going to tell Christian Sister Tong's story. I'm probably going to write it for our Voice of the Martyrs magazine. So, you know, you're going to tell a story. What, what's the first thing you need? You need the setting, right? So I say to Sister Tong, you know, let's, let's get the setting for your story. I say, Sister Tong, tell me about the prison. And the translator translates the question into Chinese and Sister Tong gets what I can only call a heavenly smile on her face. And she says something in Chinese and the translator says, oh yes, that was a wonderful time. Oh, and wow. I, I honestly, I looked at the translator, I'm like, now I just wanna make sure that, that we are understanding each other. Cause you know, I asked about the prison, you need, you know, did she understand the question? Did, did you understand the question? Yes, yes, yes. I understood the question. And yes, she understood the question. And she said it was a wonderful, I was like, okay, okay. So you got to explain that. And, you know, what I was thinking was, you know, tell me how big are the rats? Tell me how bad the food was. Tell me how hard the bed was. Let's, let's really get a handle on how you suffered while you were in prison. And what Sister Tong said was completely opposite of that. She said, you know, during that six months in prison, Jesus was so close to me and so real to me. Wow. 
Like every day, he was right there beside me the whole time, the whole six months. And she said, you know what else? While I was in that prison cell, there were ladies in the cell with me. And when I got there, they did not know Jesus Christ, but now they do. And I got to be the one to introduce them to Christ and to tell them about Jesus. So she said, you know, Jesus was with me and he gave me a ministry to do. So, of course, it was a wonderful time. And I, I mean, my head just kind of exploded because I was thinking, how, do you, how is it possible to think about six months in prison as a wonderful time? That, that just doesn't even compute. The question, the question that I asked myself and the question I asked readers in the book is, okay, if, if Jesus is with us and if he gives us a ministry to do and, and that makes it a wonderful time, well, what is there in my life that could be a wonderful time if, if I would sort of shift the way I'm looking at it and, and sort of borrow Sister Tong's glasses and look at it her way? Is it possible that sickness could be a wonderful time? Is it possible that unemployment or economic loss could be a wonderful time? Is it possible that, that a, my bad workplace environment could be a wonderful time? You know, that kind of, of eyesight, that kind of vision is something, and like I say, that, that was early on in my time at VOM, and it just completely rocked me that someone could be in prison and call it a wonderful time, and I have never forgotten it, and I think about it often, uh, and, and even looking at circumstances in my life, okay, Lord, is there something here that I should be seeing as a wonderful time that, that I'm complaining about when I should be thinking, wow, Jesus is here with me. Wow, Jesus is giving me a ministry to do. What is there in my life that could be a wonderful time? That story, Todd, is phenomenal. You know, uh, Sister Tong, I mean, how she understood, you know, and that deep relationship with God. Uh, and I'm going to get you to share another story, but how does it go when you share those kinds of stories in America and you're in the Bible Belt down in Oklahoma and, you know, we hear the prosperity gospel, come to Jesus and everything will be great. You and I know in our travels, many places in the world, that is not the way it goes. So how are you received when you tell these kinds of stories in the church in America? You know, it's interesting. I, I am received well. By and large, I'm received very well. But, but there is an element of people who think, well, you know, Sister Tong is a super Christian. Like, she's on the top shelf of Christians, and I'm just an average Christian, so I could never you know, I could never do that. I could never be like her. And the reality, and I try to remind people as I get chances to speak to them is, you know, Jesus is the same in Oklahoma as he is in China. Yes. Uh, Jesus is the same. He has the same power in, in our country as he does in hostile and restricted countries. We just need to access that. We, we just need to be more committed to that. And the other thing, and I'm glad you mentioned the prosperity gospel. I, I think one of the challenges for people who come to faith under that kind of teaching is when trouble comes, and it will, it'll yeah. come for all of us, when trouble comes, it knocks us off kilter. If that was our understanding, if, if I came to Jesus with the understanding that he was going to make my life here on earth more comfortable, more profitable, and better, then if my life is not comfortable or profitable or better, the natural response is, well, what happened? You know, what, what did I misunderstand? Is Jesus not as powerful as I thought he was? What's going on? Whereas in a place like Pakistan, you come to faith in Christ and you know 
my family's going to turn against me. I might get arrested. I might get beaten. I might have a lot. I, I am going to have trouble. Then when trouble comes, it's like, okay, yeah, this is what I knew was going to happen. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a, it's a very different response from how could I possibly be facing trouble to, yep, this is what they said would happen and it's happening. And, and I think trouble tends to not knock them off kilter as much as it does some of us because they expect it from the very first moment that they follow Christ, they know trouble's going to come. Yeah, on my last podcast, I interviewed uh, Kidani Gebremeskel-Gideon, and we met him in Eritrea. So 17 years have passed. We reconnected. He spent two and a half years in prison, and he came to Christ under communism, and he knew right away that persecution was a part of the, you know, a part of following Jesus. And, and while this persecution under communism wasn't really intense, he said he was busy working and, you know, not a lot of problem from family. But when he came back to, to Eritrea from Ethiopia and he was in prison not long after we had met him. And, and I said, how did you deal with that? And his response was, it was a privilege to suffer for Christ. That does not compute for most North American Christians. And I would put myself in that category prior to joining the Voice of the Martyrs because we've heard so many stories like that. And I think it's so vital, I think, especially in, in what's going on in our world. There's just so much turmoil. We need to understand that. I mean, you even personally with, you know, your wife going through cancer, did that help you, Todd, better prepare to deal with uh, the situation when Shar was going through that? You know, I, I think it did undoubtedly just because um, we know God is present in suffering. We know that God is, is with us as we suffer. And um, as we went through that, that season of cancer, and uh, it, it was amazing how much the prayers of the body of Christ meant to us. Mm -hmm. uh, people around the world were praying for her and, and praying for us. And I think it gave us a little, a little tiny taste of what, you know, I know our brothers and sisters who are in prison must feel as they know, wow, people in America are praying for me. People in Canada are praying for me. People all over Europe are praying for me. Yeah. I, I think it gave us just a little tiny taste of how important the body of Christ is and how meaningful it is. Um, so I, I think absolutely it, uh, we've seen so many people that suffered well. You know, that they, they suffered faithfully. And one of our thoughts from, from the very first time of, of Char's diagnosis was, we want to suffer well. You know, we, we wouldn't have chosen this path. This is not something we would have signed up for. But here we are on this path. So let's, let's suffer well and, and let's allow God to be glorified in the midst of that. And, you know, I, I hope we did that. I hope we were successful at that. Oh, I think you were. And just, you know, following the, you know, the story, of course, the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, we were praying. And I know people all over the world were praying for you. And I'm sure that's a little bit on the humbling side as well, uh, you know, because we are one big family together. Okay, Todd, let's uh, just share some more stories, maybe a couple more before we leave as we continue. Because COVID has held us back, but the stories don't hold us back. So share some more. You know, Greg, one of the stories that moves me every time, in fact, uh, I was reading it, proof pages of the book before it was printed. Uh, I was actually on an airplane flying and I was reading the proof pages of this story and I found myself just weeping reading the story. So uh, it's the story of Iman, our brother from Iran. And uh, 
as, as Iman began to tell me his story, he said, now, b- before I tell you my story, I want you to understand I'm a very competitive person. And I was like, you know, okay, that's nice. That's, that's cool that you share that. He said, no, 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 you got to understand. I am really competitive. <laughs> he said, okay. you know, when, when I was in the Iranian army during the Iran-Iraq war, I told my commander, you send me to the place where the fighting is the fiercest. If, if I can't be martyred for my country in the next 24 hours, I don't even want to bother with it. And he said, when I was a drug addict, I wanted to use more drugs than anyone else was using. I wanted to be the biggest drug addict of, uh, that anyone was. And he said, when I was a thief, I wanted to steal more than anyone else had stolen. And if someone else tried to steal something and got caught, I wanted to go and steal that thing just to show that I was a better thief than they were. And I thought, okay, okay, I got it. You're, you're very competitive. And here's the, the end result of that story. Iman became a drug addict. God just miraculously rescued him from drug addiction. And uh, he tells the story of, of literally feeling Jesus in the room with him. And he said, I knew if I opened my eyes, I would see Jesus. But he said, I was such a sinner and, and such a terrible person. I didn't deserve to see Jesus. So I just kept my eyes closed, but I knew he was right there with me in the room. And after that experience with Christ, he has never had even the temptation to do drugs. Like, like his addiction was just ended in, in one fell swoop by the touch of Jesus Christ. And that competitive nature was, was turned for godliness. And his attitude was, if I'm going to be a disciple of Christ, I'm not going to be an average disciple. I'm going to be the best disciple that I can be. If I'm going to be a witness for Christ, I'm not going to be an average witness for Christ. I'm going to be, I'm going to tell every single person that I meet about Jesus Christ. And he began to do that. And literally he said, his attitude was, why would God allow me to have interaction with this person if they weren't ready to hear the gospel? Because God knows that I'm going to tell every single person about Jesus. So Every person that he met, even at a grocery store, he thought, this is a person who's ready to hear the gospel. Well, as you know, Greg, if you do that in Iran for very long, you're going to end up in jail. Mm-hmm. And Iman did. He ended up in jail, and he spent out about a month in prison. And during that month, a, a big chunk of that time, he was in a cell with 100 other people. And he shared Christ with every single one of those 100 other prisoners in the cell with him, 24 of them prayed with him to receive Christ. So, so they got saved. 24 people got saved during his month in prison. And Iman was released and actually he was allowed to go home on one day and he stayed like three extra days because he said the ministry was so good in prison. I didn't want to leave until everybody had heard. And finally the guards are like, listen, we told you three days ago, you could go home. What are you still doing here? They started to get suspicious. So he went home and he turned in his monthly ministry report to his superiors in the church network that he was a part of in Iran. And his monthly report just said, I I shared Christ with a hundred people and 24 people got saved and prayed with me to receive Christ. And his leaders found out several weeks later that he had been in prison that month. Like he got arrested. He'd been in jail that whole time. And they're like, Iman, you know, why didn't, why didn't you say that you were in prison? Why didn't you tell us in your report that you'd been arrested? And Iman was kind of taken aback by the question. He's like, well, why is it important where I was? 
you know, I put all the important stuff in the report. I shared Christ with 100 people and 24 of them prayed with me to receive Christ. That, that's the important part. I, why would I tell you what, what does it matter where I was when I did that? And I just thought, oh, my goodness. So Iman's story is one of those. And, and he's the amazing ability of Jesus to transform us, but also to keep the, the nature that he created in us. Iman was a competitive person. Now he is a driven disciple of Christ who wants to be the very best disciple, the very best witness that he can possibly be. And he is determined to see Christ glorified in the nation of Iran. What a powerful story. You know, and that reminds me of something that our friend Russell Stendell said from Columbia Pata Cristo, a racehorse runs just as fast in the opposite direction. And uh, there's another example of that. By the way, the name of the book is When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians by Todd Nettleton. I'm putting it on the show notes, the links. You can get it from Voice of the Martyrs Canada. I know, Todd, you have your own website. It's on Amazon. It's on all, all over the place. It is a great book. Okay, before we go, one more story, Todd. Uh, you're just inspiring me, and, and, and I'm getting a little bit restless because I want to get on an airplane and meet some of those amazing people that you've been talking about. One of the last stories I'll share is the story of Pastor Rajimov. Pastor Rajimov is a pastor in Central Asia, actually in his country. He was one of the very first people to come to faith in Christ. And uh, he shared the story. He was trying to plant a church in a city uh, a, a ways away from where he lived. And he was running into a lot of difficulty. The, the police there didn't want him there. Every time he tried to go, they would create problems for him. And he said, one day, as he got to the city, there was a funeral happening for one of the city leaders that had died. And so Rajimov thought, well, hey, I, you know, I want to make connections in this community. I'm, I'm going to attend this funeral. And before he, the funeral started, he said to the two mullahs, the two Islamic leaders uh, who were going to, to do the funeral service, he said, so, so what happened to our friend here after he died? And they kind of looked at him funny, like, you know, how, how would we know what happened to him after he died? You know, what, how could we even answer that question? And Rajimov kind of challenged him and said, well, if you don't know the answer to that question, how are you going to do the funeral? How are you qualified to lead this funeral service? And the mullahs looked at him and were like, well, if you're so smart, why don't you lead the funeral? And he's like, okay, I'll do that. And so he stood beside the casket of this dead Muslim town leader and shared a funeral message that included the gospel about how we can know where we're going to go for eternity. We can know what's going to happen after we die. And he said, after the service, many of the people came up to him and they kissed him on both cheeks, which in that culture, as you know, is, is a sign of respect. It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of welcome. And so suddenly he had an entry to the village. Like he was accepted now instead of being an outcast, instead of being an outsider trying to bring in this, this foreign ideas. But he said the other thing that happened, and, and he overheard some of the people saying to the mullahs who had been supposed to lead the service, they told them, hey, we like this mullah better than your mullahs, <laughs> and we want him to come back. We want to hear him talk some more. And so he, out of this, just his willingness to step up boldly in a situation, God suddenly threw open the door to the city that before this had like the door had been locked. And now he boldly steps forward and suddenly the doors are open. The people want to hear from him. They're inviting him to come back and all of that because he just was willing to be bold in a situation where most of us, I think would, 
would kind of shrink back and say, well, it's a funeral. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to create any kind of problem. We didn't really know this guy, but he felt like God was leading him to step forward and he was willing to do that. Wow. You know, there's so many stories and just you and I, and the stories that we've gathered over the year, that's just a tiny bit of what God is doing all over the earth. I think, you know, I've heard it said, you know, this is maybe the most exciting time to be a follower of Jesus and maybe the most dangerous as well. Todd, before we go, how do we keep from getting so discouraged when we hear about Nigeria and, you know, 1,400 Christians already killed this year? Uh, You know, the girls that are kidnapped in Pakistan, girls that are forced into these marriages and into Islam from Christian backgrounds. How do we keep ourselves from getting distraught and just saying, just forget about it. I just want to, I don't want to hear about that anymore. I just want to live my life. What, what would your words be to many people that feel that way? You know, I, I think I would remind them of Sister Tong's words uh, about being in prison and having that be a wonderful time. I, I'm sure when Sister Tong went to prison, her friends were like, oh, this is terrible. This is the worst thing that could happen to Sister Tong. Oh, my, she's in prison. You know, we need to pray that, that God will release her immediately. And in prison, Sister Tong was experiencing the presence of Christ and the opportunity to be a minister for him. And she called it a wonderful time. So I think, A, we need to remind ourselves that that. Yes, in this world, you will have trouble. But as Jesus said, don't, don't worry about that because I have overcome the world. So Jesus is still at work in the midst of what's happening in Nigeria, in the midst of what's happening in Pakistan. And that doesn't mean that those people are not suffering. They are suffering. And, and we do need to stand with them. We do need to pray for them. But it does mean that God is still at work in the midst of their suffering. And so that's what I would encourage people is just remember that. And we won't know the full story. You know, even you and I, we, we've told a lot of these amazing stories. We don't know half of the stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't know a tenth of the stories of what God has done and is doing in hostile and restricted nations. So when we get to heaven... And we get to hear all the stories. It will put in perspective the the season of suffering that is happening right now. And uh, we do need to pray, and I encourage people to pray. Uh, But we also need to remember God is still on the throne, and his kingdom is advancing. Even in northern Nigeria, even in Pakistan, even in Afghanistan, his kingdom is still advancing. It is. And, you know, I so appreciate you, Todd, you know, as a storyteller, as a brother in the Lord and the passion that, you know, you go to some very dangerous places, you tell these amazing stories and you've written an excellent book. We are highly recommending it at the Voice of the Martyrs Canada. And again, on the show notes, you can find ways to order your copy and start journaling and praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Also, we'll have the Voice of the Martyrs Canada and the Voice of the Martyrs US links so you can find out how to pray for situations that are going on right now. Todd Middleton, great to see you. And maybe we will bump into you at an airport somewhere. And, you know, I've been, it's been so long since I've traveled, even lost luggage is starting to sound okay. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> when you go up and, when you go up and, and hug the airline person and say, thank you for losing my luggage, you'll know it's been too long since you've been on a plane. <laughs> that, that, isn't that the truth? Again, congratulations on the book. Thanks again, Todd. And I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you real soon. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 
you know, and as Todd has shared the stories, you know, from all over the world, hey, just remember the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.